This morning we're, we are, uh, are going to continue in our Heaven series, uh, the third week uh, in our series of Heaven. This morning's message is called, Yet in My Flesh, um, and it's really just the, the idea of the, of the resurrection and what does the resurrection mean for us and, and what has it done and just uh, the amazing, beautiful picture of what God has done. Um, Next week, um, we will be talking in the, in the sense, this week we're talking about a physical resurrection, and a physical resurrection makes no sense without a physical redeemed uh, earth. And, and so next week, actually, Luke Ost is going to be sharing with you guys, and he is going to be bringing a, mes- uh, a, a message about the restoration of Eden next week. All right, so let's get into today's text uh, we are going to. Uh, we are in this this idea. This yet in my flesh, and we want to talk about the resurrection. And obviously, we we're past Easter and and all of that. But but resurrection is God's plan. It's it's His plan for us. The the plan of redemption and resurrection is what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to start in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. And so, if you open up your Bible or turn it on, uh, we are in chapter fifteen of of first uh, Corinthians fifteen uh, verse twelve now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So, Paul tells us this, basically, if the resurrection isn't true, then your faith is futile, that, that you're foolish even to live as you live, that, that if, if it's only for this life only, then it's, it, it's not even worth it. It, it. It's futile, that we should be people that would be the most pitied in the world if we choose to follow Jesus in this life, but yet the resurrection isn't true, because if the resurrection isn't true, None of it's true. Christianity stands or falls on the validity and the reality of the resurrection. It's everything about our faith. It's unique to our faith. We, we see other Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, none of these other folks uh, that have led different spiritual religions in the world have, have risen from the dead. They're all in the grave, but yet Jesus rose from the grave. And because he rose from the, de- from the dead, we have hope beyond this world. Our hope isn't in this world only. It's a complete perspective changer of, of, of who we are and what life is about, the reality of the resurrection. It's always been the plan. Matthew twenty two thirty one 31 through 33. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. 
See, Jesus is telling them that he is the God. He is the resurrection and the life. And he is not the God of the dead. He is not the God of the departed. Those who are gone to no longer come back. He is the God of those who are living. Again, it's always been the plan. Job 19, 25, and 26, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And I know that I talk about this a lot. It's a powerful verse. It begins from what scholars believe is the oldest book of the Bible. This ancient man, Job, stands up and proclaims the reality of the resurrection. Even though my flesh is going to decay, even though it's going to go to the grave and it's going to await the resurrection, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I will see him. I know that my redeemer lives. The one who is going to redeem me, the one who is going to purchase me back, the one who is going to buy my life back and bring me back to life, he lives. And because he lives, Job knows that he also will live. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. The earth will give birth to the dead. That we will see a bodily, physical resurrection. You see, the resurrection, last week we talked about the intermediate heaven. The reality that that, that heaven at this point in time is an intermediate state. That if we were to die today, yes, like Paul said, to be uh, away from the body is to be present with the Lord. We would go and we would go to an intermediate state of heaven. But it's not the final state of heaven. As a matter of fact, like we talked last week, we saw that in Revelation 6 where the martyrs are there and they're underneath, they're, they're, they're talking to God, they're conversing with God, and they're asking him, they're saying, how long will it be until your justice and your mercy or accomplish God. How long will you wait? And, and it's interesting because in that intermediate state, we see that they're, 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 they're looking towards the future. They're looking towards the final day when everything is fulfilled and made complete. And that does not happen until there's a new heavens and a new earth. And, and so, so we, we understand that to leave here is to go and, yes, to be present with the Lord But it is to await the reality of the final day, which is the physical bodily resurrection. You see, we were always intended to be flesh and spirit. This is the way that God created us. He didn't create us to be just spirits that are out flitting out and nebulously just kind of out there. Um, We have always been intended to inhabit a physical body. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 2, where we see God is creating humanity, he's creating mankind, he first takes the dust of the earth and he forms a body out of it. And then it says he breathes into that body a spirit and that then becomes a nefesh or a living being. It's not until those two are completely together that humanity is fully formed and is existing in the manner in which God has created us to be. See, the very unnatural thing about death is that it separates this union of the flesh and the spirit. You see, in these, a lot of times, these things come from dualistic worldviews, um, uh, Greek belief and different things like that, where, where the idea of Gnostic, early Gnostic teaching within the church had this idea that, that the flesh is bad, 
that the flesh is just evil and it's bad. And the spirit, that is good. But you see, that's not, that's not what God said, is that when God created, he created the flesh and he said that it was good. The problem with the flesh today is that we've had an add-on that's come our way that's stuck to us, and that add-on is sin. And that is the thing that is bad. But ultimately, what God is going to do is he's going to restore the flesh and the spirit. See, it's not that at death, like our true self goes off to God, and then our lesser or our fake self goes to the grave. It's that part of us goes to God and exists in intermediate heaven, and part of us goes to the grave awaiting the resurrection, both of those awaiting and looking forward to and anticipating the physical resurrection of the dead. You see, it's God's plan for us. See, God intended that our bodies would last indefinitely, really, with our spirit. See, the very definition of resurrection also demands that you come back as you. You have to. Otherwise, you're not resurrected. If it's something different from you, that means that you were recreated, not resurrected. The very idea means that we will come back, and we will come back as we were created to be. You see, God didn't make a mistake with you, and he's not changing you in the sense that, that he's creating you into something completely different after this world. You're going to be you, and you're going to know that you're you. And you're going to know the people around you, and you're going to know the relationships that you have. I fully believe this. We see that from what we get in Scripture, we get enough to start to make some, uh, some, some assumptions about some of those things. We can, we can understand some of those things a little bit better. But you see, the resurrection is the return to a permanent physical existence. Now, let's understand that it's, it's upgraded, right? It's, it's the version 2.0. It's not like it is now. But see, just like salvation transformed us, it didn't recreate you into another completely different person. It transformed you. It changed who you were while still maintaining your unique identity and who you are. Same thing with the resurrection, is that we will be transformed in the resurrection. We will be upgraded, and there will be, there will be good things. There will be the, the add-on of sin is going to be removed, and we're going to get some really cool features that we don't necessarily have right now. But, but it still will be a transformation of the real you. So what will our bodies be like? Well, Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21 says this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So, Jesus' body begins to be for us somewhat of a prototype to understand a little bit about what our bodies will be like. Now, we're not getting the full picture, and I'm not trying to paint the full picture because we don't really get the whole of it, but we do see some interesting things. One thing is this, that Jesus was flesh and bones. He told his disciples, look, a, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. Come and touch me. Put your hands in the holes. Come and check it out. The reality of it is, is that he was living in a body of flesh. And he will live in that body of flesh forever. Jesus, as he came in and he took on a human body, lived and died and was resurrected, he lives in that state 
forevermore. And there's a physical reality to Jesus' body today. Our bodies are never going to peak. Mine peaked a long time ago. I don't know about yours or where you're at in that kind of a thing. But, but our bodies today peak. We get to a place and then it starts, starts this kind of this descent, right? And, and, and you're like, I don't know if you, you notice that. It's like, I'm sure a lot of us do. It, it's like all of a sudden your mind is still clicking and you're still, but it's like, and you're like, what's going on? I'm trying to catch this ball. And I, I, I mean, you used to have no problem. And it's like, but anyway, our bodies are never going to peak in that, that, at that point in time. Jesus, as he walked the earth in his resurrected body, he ate, he walked, he, he uh, engaged, he conversed, he touched. He, he had the reality of a physical existence. He did really cool things, too, like showing up behind locked doors. Now, I don't know how that's going to work or what that looks like. I, I, I can't even tell you, but, but there is something that that begins to show us that there is something beyond this that, yes, it's a physical body, but it also has these features that are incredibly interesting. I don't know if it was like a, if it's like a Star Trek kind of a thing where his body's now able to be beamed, you know, beam me up kind of a thing or beam me over here. I, I don't know. Or if it just has the ability to pass through these things, I don't know. But what we do see is that Jesus suddenly showed up in the middle of his disciples behind a locked door and said, peace be with you. And, and, and really freaked them all out at that point, right? They, they were like, ah, ah right? Um, and, and this body is no longer to be su- subject to sickness, decay, or death. It, it, it's a triumph over the second law of thermodynamics that says everything is, is heading towards decay. That's the reality of what we live in today. It's the reality of part of the, the effect of the curse of sin that it affected all of creation. And all of us now are subject to the reality of the, of the second law of thermodynamics, which means we're, we're headed towards death and decay. But one day in this body, that will be done away with and we will no longer be subject to sickness, decay, or death. Now let's understand too that when we, when we do arrive, when this all happens, here's the other thing, is that we won't be Jesus' equal. We're not going to be God's equal in this. So, so sometimes we get to thinking that like when we go to the next thing, that, that we, we're, gonna, we're just going to know everything. Well, you're not. You're not going to know everything. We're not going to... We're not gonna, quit growing in our understanding of an infinite God. We're going to continue to to grow in understanding and all of those things, just like the martyrs in intermediate heaven, they were asking God, how long? How long are you going to wait? Which has the idea of time. It also has the idea of that they don't yet know that they need to be taught and have understanding. Yes, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we will know in full just as we have been fully known, but that isn't saying, that what that's saying is that we're going to know in full a whole lot about what has went on here. We're going to see in a closer way the, what, what, what has gone on here. We're going to understand how, again, those threads, those tapestry threads have been kind of put together to create something beautiful. And from our perspective right now, it looks like the backside of the tapestry, it's just a mess. But then one day, God is going to turn that all around. And he's going to show us what a beautiful thing that he's done, what an amazing thing he's done. And we'll see how our individual thread was intertwined throughout different lives and situations and circumstances and all of those kinds of things to create this beautiful thing that God is doing. We're going to have continuity. 
And, and, and this is something that I, I want us to understand, is that the martyrs in Revelation 6 are recognizing that something has happened on the earth and that it's carrying forth, it's going on towards God's final plans. The Bible is very clear in this idea of continuity. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there's a reality that God is a righteous judge, and that each and every one of us are going to stand before him. Now, if you're a believer, understand that there, there are two different judgments that the Bible talks about. One is the the Bema Seat of Christ, and it's, it, it isn't necessarily, uh, in that judgment, it's, it's not even really a judgment. The Bema, the word Bema that is used in the Greek, it, it, was a, it was like a podium in which the awards were given in the Olympics or those kinds of, in the games kind of a thing. And, and so it has the idea of how we live our life and what we did in our lives here is going to go on. That, that it's somehow it's going to have meaning. What is happening here, God, is not meaningless. We're not going to walk away from it, and it's going to have no bearing on our future. It is going to have bearing. Now, if you're in Christ and you're going to face him in the Bema seat of Christ, there is no fear about, about your salvation. That's not at issue. There, there is no judgment or nothing about the wrongs that about your life that you and I have done, the, the wrongs that are in life, all of those things are covered by the cross. It's done and that is settled. But the Bible does talk about what have we done. We've been given, we've been gifted a life. And God is going to say, how did you spend it? How did you spend this life that was given to you? How did you take the resources that I entrusted you with and did you, did you, did you invest those? Did you invest those into this world, into, into your own thing, or did you invest them into the kingdom? And we see all kinds of examples of this throughout the Bible. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 13, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. What does that say? That says that everything that we're talking about, the base, the cornerstone, the bottom line of every work, every good work that we've ever done on this earth has to be Jesus. He has to be the motive. He has to be the reason behind it. It can't, the reason behind it can't be because I want to look good in front of everybody else and things like that. It has to be because I recognize what Jesus has done for me, and that has motivated me then to do whatever it is that God has called me to do. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And so these works that we've done in our lives, these things that we look to ourselves and we say, man, I'm a great guy, try. Well, one day it'll be put on the altar before God, and it will be tested by fire. And unfortunately, there's some of the things that, you know, that I've done are going to go up, they're going to be just straw. And they're going to, and hopefully... But motives, motives, our motives are right, and we understand this continuity. There are going to be things that are going to go on. There are going to be things that are going to continue. There are going to be things that are rewarded. The, the, the Bible's clear in talking about, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, now receive more. You have five cities. You have ten cities. 
You are faithful with it. You see, the problem with the parable of, 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 uh, of, the, of the talents, the biggest problem was this, that the guy that had one, only had one talent, buried it. He didn't invest it. He just made sure he was going to be okay. He was like, man, I don't know about this, this master. He seems kind of harsh. Seems like he's asking a lot. I'm going to make sure that I'm okay. I'm not going to take a risk. I'm not going to lose this. I'm just going to bury it somewhere so that when he comes back, I'm just going to give it back to him. And I'm not going to worry about it. You see, but that was an offense because that was just the preservation of self. That, that was an attitude that said, I'm not going to reach out. I'm, I'm not going to do anything that would, that would reach out into the community. I'm not going to challenge myself. I'm not going to take the resources that God has given me and invest them back into the kingdom. So it's the Bema Seed of Christ. It's a place of reward. Our eternal destiny is assured. But what we got to do is understand that, that there is purpose in what we're doing here. You see, if, if there wasn't in heaven, if it didn't go on, then why? You know, there's a lot of things that happen here that aren't funny and aren't okay. And, and if there's no meaning or purpose beyond them, if God isn't extending the things that are going on here today into eternity, then oh, it's just almost somehow just not all right. But if they have eternal implication, if, if, if they're going on from here, well, that's kind of a game changer. It makes a big difference in the things that we're experiencing here. And reminding us that it's important. What we do is important. We're not working to appease God. We're not working to look good in front of each other. But we are supposed to be working, making a difference in this world and for this kingdom. And the only way to do that is this. The only way to do that is that God isn't, please don't misunderstand me. God is not calling you out, or I'm not calling you out to go out there and just do all the good works that you can do this week. Just go and just find all the good things and help, you know, as many old ladies across the street as you can or whatever that looks like. God is calling you to be connected to him, to understand that he is the resurrection and the life. And the only kind of works that are going to stand up to this are the ones that he has inspired in our hearts because we were rooted into him and because that's how fruit happens. Fruit doesn't happen because trees think about making fruit. Fruit happens because trees are rooted into the right place and they get the nourishment and they get everything that they need so that then it just comes up and it just happens. So God is calling each and all of us to remember that what we do is important here and he's called us to be reminded that he he uh, that that he's the he's the branch and we're just or, or he's the uh, he's the vine and we're the branches and, and but when we are in him and he is in us then we will bear much fruit in our lives. So Jesus, what he's doing when we look to this and we start to look at the cross. We've got to understand that what he's doing is he's undoing the curse. Resurrection is the undoing of the curse. See, all of this has to be remade. There can be no B plan, otherwise God has lost. You see, if God has to recreate all of this and recreate everything versus just go back and redeem it and restore it, then that means that God had to come up with a B plan, and there's a real problem with that. If somehow the plans of the enemy have come and foiled the plans of God and sin has messed this up in a way that, 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 that God now has to just, what's my B plan? 
That means he lost. God can't lose. He's not going to lose. He didn't lose. As a matter of fact, the resurrection is the proof that God was right and that he's all-powerful and that he's redeeming both the dust and the spirit. See, he's undoing the curse and he's restoring what was the original intention. See, the, the original intention was in the garden and, and it was a perfect place. Perfect situation, relationship with God forever and ever. But there was this tree, right? And we were told not to eat of this tree, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We just think about evil a lot of times, but this was the knowledge of good as well. The knowledge of both good and evil. And, And from our limited perspective we see this, that, that Adam and Eve, they, they made a, a decision. And, and in so doing, they were deceived, but their eyes were opened to, to good and evil. And sin and shame come washing in and washing over them. And they also understood the reality that now that they were naked and exposed, they were laid, bef- laid bare before a holy God. They understood the reality of his holiness and, and who he is. And so they, just like we've done, they, they, they went to construct for themselves fig leaves of works and their own self-righteousness and all of these things and tried to make a covering for themselves. But it was insufficient and it really still left them exposed because when God entered back into the garden and they, they heard his presence, they went and they hid as if you could, right? But God came seeking after us. And that's huge. That's, that's so different from anything else. And, and, and so he came, and instead of us just walking with God like we were called to do, we went and we hid. And we've hidden away from God, but he simply just invites us back. He invites us back with a question, where are you? Where are you? It's, a, it's an invitation to the lost. It's a proclamation that you don't know where you're at, but I do, but where are you? And I'll help to bring you back and lead you to somewhere. And we see that ultimately that Adam, he stepped out from behind there. He stepped out of his hiding place and he stood before God and he said, I was naked and I was afraid and so I hid. Like I said, it's the first episode of Naked and Afraid right there and um, it had been going on with it since. But, But here he is And he just says, look, I was naked. I I was exposed. I was wrong that sin and shame had come in. And I recognized the holiness of who you are in comparison to me. And I I couldn't stand in your presence. And so I went and I hid. And then God asked the, the second question to him. He said, did you eat? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? And of course, God knows. He's, he's God. He's, he knows all things. But see, it's a question for us. It's, it's a question of honesty. See, because honesty is the beginning stage of healing. It's the beginning change, uh, stage of, of change in our lives. And if we won't be honest, we'll receive no healing in this world. Not because God isn't interested in our healing, but because we won't own up. It's because we stay off in a place called denial and refuse to come into reality. But when we come into that reality and we, we fess up before God, even with our excuses, as Adam and Eve both did, right? They said, Adam was like, well, it's your fault and her fault, right? 
the woman that you made, she gave me some and I ate. I'm just a guy. I could never exercise any kind of self-control or anything like that. You know that, God. You made her, right? But you know what he did say? He said, I ate. I ate. I did it. And for her, she's like, well, the devil made me do it. And I ate. And, and even as insufficient as that is, it's enough that God then begins something in their lives. But there's a reality. There's consequence to this. There's consequence to this decision, to taking what authority had been given ours, that we were given dominion over the earth, and we turned it over to the enemy. And our lives got really wrecked and really messed up, and where there were consequences. Now there's pain, there's death, there's relational struggles, there's a curse on the earth. Our lives are lived by the sweat of our brow, and we spend our time living in a sinful and broken state in this world wandering like outcasts, toiling until death, waiting on the covering that could truly remove the curse. Where once we had walked in the garden, the garden is now protected from us. That now where we had access, full access to the tree of life, God has said, not in their sinful state. It's the greatest act of mercy maybe of all time. God said, in that state, in that state of their sinfulness and depravity, they can't eat from the tree. We have to guard it. And so there was where, where they once walked freely with God. Now there's a, a cherub, cherubim with, with a flaming sword that protects that so that we couldn't forever stay in this state. See, he came to become the curse Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, there had to be a provision for the righteous son of God to become the curse. And that provision is that cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Philippians 2.8 and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Some versions say a tree. And in so doing, he's fulfilling the curse. He's, he's undoing what broke. He's, he's taking his, his life and he's substituting it for us because we let the curse in. I want to roll really quick a really cool poem for, for you guys to, to look and just listen to this and meditate on this and think about this. The cross. How can one describe such a thing? The wrongdoing of all humanity, putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus. Death by way of the cross, all in one moment, bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet, this is the incredible part of it. Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. 
the brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God, our sin and our debt, overcoming Jesus. Here is our King, obliterated, the enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old, the lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong, but now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We had almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about the cross? Just one thing, that the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. How clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization we can say that God is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all. The naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control all along. These were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails. Our sin stopped His heart, and yet this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us the bright light of our future, all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of the cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man, putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a thing? The cross. Amen. The curse is broken. 
the veil is torn. Where we missed the mark, he hit it. Where we were unrighteous, he was righteous on our behalf. Where we stood before a tree and chose disobedience, he hung on a tree obediently, even to the point of death, even death upon a tree. You see, the cross paid the penalty, and the resurrection took us into a new thing, a new covenant, a new relationship. We are new creations with new minds and new hearts, and ultimately, a new heaven and a new earth. He truly is making all things new. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are making all things new, that you've done for us what was impossible because of your goodness, not because we deserved it or, or because of anything, but just because of your goodness, because of your love for us, you came and you made a way. You experienced the cross. You allowed yourself to be subjected to your own creation that you might redeem it, that you might defeat death, and that you might carry us with you into eternal life. We have nothing that we bring into this, but we are so grateful, Lord. We are so thankful that you've done this on our behalf. And that there's nobody that is outside of this. There is, there is none that have gone too far. That your redeeming hand is never too short. That you can't reach out and get a hold of anyone. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us this day. We pray that this redemption, that this undoing of the curse would be so powerful in our own lives that we would go out of these doors here today and we would proclaim the goodness of who you are and what you've done, that we would be a church intent to see heaven a more crowded place. Lord, help us in the things that you're calling us to, Lord, the good works that you prepared in advance. Might we walk in them today, Lord? Might we have willingness and desire to live for the things of you? Lord, we thank you. We want to live our lives. We don't want to waste them. We want to live them for things that are eternally worthy of our time and our affection and our efforts. So, Lord, we give praise to you. We're grateful, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.